broadcasting live from the Zimmer Communications World Headquarters. This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri. Get ready, pal. Here's your host, Randy Tobler. 7.08. It is Wake Up Mid-Missouri. A frigid and uh, soon-to-be plummeting temperature-wise weather uh, forecast that we're looking at. We're going to keep you up to date on that. I am Randy Tobler along with Stephanie Bell. Just Good back. Morning. How you doing? Great. I notice you're wearing your Arctic sweater, oh, as am I. Look at this. Look at the Arctic today. sweaters. Aw, so and, cute. And Hannah, do you have an Arctic sweater on? I haven't been able to see you. Um, bellied up to the bar there. Oh, hang on. on. I've got an Ariat sweatshirt on. Okay. <laughs> and John, Arctic sweater or not? No? Wearing my Zimmer Communications oh. logoed vest. He's oh. sucking up. He's sucking company up. Company man. Yeah, company guy. <laughs> that yeah. was free, you know. Yeah. Pretty soon he'll want a gold watch when he retires, you know. There you go. About 10 years, yeah. Okay. Uh, Okay, so Lloyd Austin, AWOL, he had surgery around Christmas. Was it readmitted around uh, New Year's Day? Was in the hospital, in the ICU for several days until Biden, the media, his wife, I don't know. No, it seemed no one knew about it. The deputy was, what, cavorting down in the Caribbean somewhere? Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Um, and so now, of course, now they're going back and saying, well, we need to have protocol for this. And you'd think there would be a protocol chain of command. And I, it turns out it's prostate cancer. I think I blame the doctor or something. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> so a lawyer and a doctor walk into the studio. <laughs> Why would you blame the doctor? Well, if you go back to like what he what they told him, you know, it's early prostate cancer, minimally invasive procedure. He went in one day, he comes out the next and then something kind of complicated, right? So I think for the, for that first procedure, I don't know that he really had a, a duty, you know, to say uh, I have. I don't know that if he just went through that first procedure, if he had any duty to be like, "Hey, I have cancer." Hey, I think once you go into the ICU and once you're incapacitated and you can't fulfill your duties, yeah, you probably have. A, you should say something. But if I'm him. A, like, you know, I don't think everyone in the world needs to know that I have cancer. And B, if my doc told me I, I go in one day, I go home that night, I, I'm not going to go sharing that with everybody because, again, it's national news. And now I guess he has a UTI is what caused the complication. I, well, they said he had like a, what, what I, it sounds like he had an ileus. They said he had okay. fluid in his bowel and things weren't emptying. So it sounds like he had a post-op ileus. Which Why he like, had that? Everyone, that just means paralyzed bowel. But does everyone in America need to know what's going no. on with my bowels? I mean, so I, I agree. I, just, I agree. Like that, it, I, Would you like to share? I think I'm more... <laughs> you I were think, just traveling, after all. I think I'm more, like, I think I'm more sensitive to his situation than I, I think too. a lot of other people are in that I don't think my, you know, having been a woman who knew I was pregnant and had to consider, you know, when is the appropriate time to say that to my employer i think there are a lot of women who struggle with that working women who struggle with Why? that conversation uh because essentially you're saying hey i'm going to need some time off next year i see i manage a play okay this is we're going to have enough discussion john <laughs> we're going to now john it's we got two guys and two gals here so i hope we can you know i hope we can be mono mono here you know we can be bros here okay okay i i was told once when i simply asked the hr person oh it's common knowledge that Sally Joe is pregnant, but we don't know about it officially, but she holds a pivotal position and for the good of the company we need to we need to try to plan, but we can't say no, you can't say anything. Well, what the heck? I mean, what? I don't understand. Now, I agree in this particular instance, I agree. 
no one needs to know the why. All they need to know is what is the likely time that he's going to be out, right? He's he's under anesthesia during the procedure, and if there's a one- or two-day recovery time, that's all you say. I'm going to be having a procedure, and I'm done. I agree with you. I don't know why the media frenzy over what's the problem. And I think once you go into the ICU and you're going to be there and you're unable to complete, you know, once it's going to be an extended couple of days and, and you need help, at that point he did have a duty. And oh, so, sure. But this whole thing of, well, Biden didn't even know he had cancer until the public knew. I don't think he had a duty to say that, but I think... Also, for me, like, as where's a, the doctor thing come in as though? a working woman? Well, I think that's I mean, <laughs> it should have been, a, it should have been an in and out kind of thing. So I just think like, you know, stuff happens. And oh, I don't really okay, blame the doctor. John, I feel a med mal thing coming on here. OK, but I, I kind of go back to the thing I said, Randy, when we discussed this, you know, early on on Monday. That, you know, public figures and all. Now, did the public need to immediately know the whole diagnosis and the procedures and all? No, but the fact that he was, you know, uh, out of hand and in the right. hospital and all, and you're, like you said earlier, the chain of succession and all, you, you kind of wonder. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sixth in line of succession at any point in my life, but I, you know, as a, as a, the employee, well, I'm gonna, you are mayor pro tem of that. <laughs> That's there you right. Go. There you well, go. But I'm going to push back a little bit in that, like, you know, I, I get it as an employer now, I, I think I would like time to plan. And if you're having, you know, a health crisis, I hope that you would come to me and we could work through that. And, you know, I could plan to be flexible for you. But like, as a young attorney in, in, you know, a bigger firm, you know, I'm thinking, I know I'm pregnant in December. It's early. You know, they make, uh, financial decisions as far as my salary and my bonus at the end of the year. So am I going to tell them on December 15th before they make that decision that next year I need six weeks off? From a management standpoint, that sounds manipulative. Yeah, that, I know. Well, that's, but, and so I would much rather be authentic. Yeah. And I actually appreciate that. The more authentic people are with me, the more their stock price goes up in in my sphere, in my orbit. <laughs> but yeah? at the same time, are are you then in your mind you're saying, well, I you know she's worth this much, but actually she's only going to work you know seventy five percent of the year next year, so maybe we'll wait on that raise for another year. You're I think, not going to like this, and it's a separate issue. Yeah. you should get paid for what you do. Well, whether I do because I bill by the hour. Well, whether you're now, an incapac- but, whether yeah. you're a pregnant woman or an incapacitated man or a or a zebra or a giraffe, you should just get paid for what but you we do. We should also have some flexibility for mothers. Oh um, boy, here we time, go. I but at the same time, <laughs> at that point, I'm John. <laughs> you know, I've been in the situation at that point where I'm six weeks pregnant, yeah. and I ha- my family doesn't know. Like, I, you know, n- not my extended family, and no one else in my life knows. Am I then? Am I going to tell my employer before I tell like now, my close friends? I want to be I want to be very clear when I said you should get paid for what you do. I am on record on air <laughs> and in management. Hear this loud and clear all you ladies out there. Huh? If a woman is value to the corporation, to the operation and she needs 12 weeks off, I would gladly give it to her. I don't need to be told by the government. If on the other hand, you would give it to her or because she earned it. Not and, like you're not being because generous. Of hourly she was there more hours. <laughs> I would, but there are women who don't deserve it, just like there are men who don't deserve it. I mean, I, Fair. you you treat people for what they offer, toto in toto, yeah, net net to the company. So there are women that can run circles around me. I'm actually working with two of them right now in terms of organizational skills and planning and everything else. That okay, so they deserve some time off because they're women and they can have babies, and I can't, you know, but. There, you know what I mean? But there are women who, sorry, just because you're a woman and you can have a baby, you're you're not that valuable to the company. I know that sounds tough. Man. I'm, I'm sorry. That's not misogynistic. That's 
judge a person by the content of their character and their output rather than the color of their uterus. Well, and these things... <laughs> wow. Is that how that quote goes? No, I mean, really. Well, and if we... you're looking at leave policies and even the way that the government has yeah. implemented them, a lot of them are basis on the basis of large institutions versus smaller. And I've yeah. always been in smaller situations. And yeah, I mean, with small businesses, I mean, someone has to show up to work. Right. And, and that makes it tough. So I, I'm, I'm into accommodating women. And most of the women I've worked with in my life deserve that time off because they work hard they work efficiently they do a great job they can multitask john aren't i right on this women are just good at that they can they can do that kind of stuff you know well i think about fm la the family you know family yeah. medical and leave act that was kind of generated by people having issues with not only giving birth to a child but people with serious health conditions and all that and that kind of prompted some of these laws going yeah, but, on the book so but but if john if you get prostate cancer and you have a complication and you need 12 weeks off you're a valuable member of the team so take time off if on the other hand you're a louse and you never contribute and you're a jerk well okay i should be able to get rid of you anyway i mean i don't understand the labor laws we can go on and on and on about this i mean i i agree and then you look at like folks like in europe and australia where they take six weeks off every year and that's their and holiday their, their maternity leave is yeah and sometimes we, and, you know and, six months long and may i remind you who has to defend their sorry lazy butts but the I United was, States of America, because we're hardworking people. But can you, I mean, and we have, I mean, is that why our country is so successful? Because we require people to go to work. And, you know, I'm a, a private employer trying to compete with, yeah. for example, the state. Have you looked at the state's leave policy? As a private employer, it's almost impossible to compete yeah. with. It's I think like nine, nine days a year. No, yeah. it's more, it's like with sick and, and yeah. vacations, it's like... A month, a year. Basically, they get a month off. They're, are you talking oh, about like state employees? Yeah. Yeah, so, they are constantly accruing both PTO and sick time or personal time. So I think it, it's a month off a year. It adds up pretty quickly. Uh, my state worker never uses his vacation time. So he's always got, you know, usually over 100, maybe 200 hours of time off. A lot of people do that. Yeah. yeah. But if you're expecting, you know, the wheels of state government to turn and, you know, things to get done, you know, a month off seems like a lot and it makes it hard for the rest of us to uh to compete. I guess we can maybe compete on price. But yeah, yeah I mean, no, I, the vacation policy, I, I mean, again, it's it's a struggle not only, you know, US versus mm -hmm. uh but uh, again, government versus private. So, uh, and it, look again, Mike my stance on employment in America, this is not a gender thing anymore. Because after all, there's no gender distinctions anymore, right? We're all equal. Everyone's equal. Is that Lloyd Austin shouldn't have gotten any time off because he's not a woman? No, I'm just saying. <laughs> whether you're Look, I believe in education. Teachers used to have some... There was basically, are you a good student or you're not? Okay, you did you, you screwed up a quiz, but man, you're, you hit it out of the park every time. You get an A, okay? Now, everything is so precise to the des third decimal point metric this and data that and test that people know who a curious good learner is ask any teacher you know who the good learners are they may not be good test takers they're good learners 
Similarly, you know who the good workers are, whether they're pregnant, whether they're Lloyd Austin, whether they're not. Now, Lloyd Austin had a duty to let someone know he was going to be out for a little bit. That was what was anticipated. Yes. And when the when the course changed, he had a duty to let them know what it was, mm-hmm. whether it was prostate cancer or gallbladder surgery or, you know, arterial coronary bypass. It doesn't matter. I just, but, you know. But yeah, I mean, I have like duties to my clients. Yes. You have, you know, duties to right. your patients. And like if I am going to be, I mean, my clients pay a rate that is basically 24-7 access. And if I have a situation where I am going to be completely unreachable, not just, hey, I can't talk for this hour, but I'm in an airplane for eight hours and I, you know, on a work day, I tip and, you know, I know they're having an issue. I give them a heads up. And I think like, and I'm not you know, as important as Lloyd Austin, but he had, he had a duty. Don't diminish yourself. Um, he had a duty to let folks know yeah, that he was I going agree. to be unreachable or I unavailable. Agree. And that was the mistake. That was the mistake. So let's see. Uh, Steve says, time to get off the cul-de-sac. <laughs> I don't know if he's talking about the road conditions or the conversation, but employment matters. I think, I think employment law in this country has gone crazy. It's gone absolutely south. It protects the mediocre and oh, that's certainly. part of the problem in this country. That's why I think we're in some trouble economically, why we're in trouble culturally, because we just don't demand excellence. You get an award. I mean, it starts with the helicopter parent and the, the trophy kid generation. Right? Frankly, my generation raising our kids, partly responsible. Oh, you showed up to the meet and you mm-hmm. laced up your sneakers. Let's give you a ribbon. You know, I mean, I'm sorry. OK, that's my story. and I'm sticking to it, Hannah. We're all winners. Yeah. <laughs> I better roll the music before uh, you uh, it's gonna, have an angel. I am going to get to what's hot with Hannah on time. Do I need to clip this again? No, we're out now. Come on, we're oh, out. We're okay. out now, and we're going to be back with what's hot with Hannah on time. Okay. On Wake Up in Missouri. This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri. This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri featuring your mom. We're still in the 25 minute. Uh We just hit 26. Did I get you there on time? Hot, hot, hot with Hannah? He has a witness. I may or may not have let the music play longer. Oh, I'm be- John Marsh, I'm being manipulated here now. Look at this. She's mm-hmm. she's trying to make me look bad after I got in at 727 yesterday. That's right. You better not ask for any time off. I know. I guess, yeah, I, you know I'm going to identify as pregnant. I want 12 weeks. No, Stephanie, yesterday, uh, he told me earlier in the show, in the 6 o'clock hour, that uh, he would be on time for What's Hot with Hannah. And then we went into what's hot with Hannah at like seven twenty eight almost, and so I oh, I it was opened seven twenty seven minute. Oh, oh the congressman, minute. he kind of pushed us. <laughs> yeah, we were with the congressman, but that yeah. you know. So I opened up what's hot with Hannah yeah. with the clip of him saying, "I will get to what's hot with <laughs> Hannah at seven twenty five. I've already busted my New Year's resolution, <laughs> oh, you know. Man, <laughs> so what's going on, Hannah? Well, we're going to Colorado. You know, let's go to the mountains. And they, I guess, had a New Year's, I wouldn't call it a resolution, but, uh, Stephanie, are we interrupting something? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Stephanie's snapping selfies if you want to go check it out on the uh, Wake Up in Missouri Facebook page. But in Colorado, 
before January 1st of 2024, crawfish, like a crawfish boil, Mm -hmm. like we might see down south, was illegal. And actually importing crawfish from down south into Colorado was also illegal. Transporting them was illegal. Wow. And it sounds like it was basically just a law that nobody knew about. (laughs) 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 And... They estimated that they confiscated like 11,000 pounds a year of crawfish or, you know, crayfish, whatever you want to call them. Uh, But now, as of 2024, folks that live in Colorado can safely have their crawfish boils. So congratulations to the lovely (laughs) folks of the state of Colorado. So weed cool, crawfish, nah. (laughs) Right? I guess so. Weird rule. I guess so. A lot of states do that to prevent the import of uh, invasive species, you know. So, like, I know in Missouri, I I don't know whether it's a law or regulation. John, do you know, aren't there regulations against... Like bringing in boats that have been in other waters or something. I don't know. There's you can't. There's yes, certain regulations. Oh gosh, have you ever you ever crossed the border into the People's Republic of California? Before? Oh yeah, when it's like oh you can't have you can't have peaches in your lunchbox or anything. Yeah. Don't even don't even bring a a bag of M and M's that came from Missouri. Or Missouri. Or Missouri. <laughs> well, and oftentimes there's like seasons for, I mean, for a lot of animals, right? Depending on a lot of different things. So I know, like, I remember, speaking of crawfish, like floating and people were like, oh, they're frogging and that's illegal. And I was like, what? There's a frog season in Missouri? And sure enough, there is. <laughs> sure is. Uh, my little brother, when he was probably six or so, uh, him and some of the neighborhood boys over the summer took their BB guns out to the lagoon. <laughs> and shot several frogs with the BB gun. (laughs) And my brother came up to the house with his bucket of lagoon frogs wanting my mom to make them for dinner. They're good, though. I mean, nothing Out of the lagoon, though? Yeah, frog Mm. legs a frog leg. It's all protein. Yeah, that gets digested. Tastes like chicken in the end anyway. (laughs) Well, there's what's hot with Hannah coming up. We talk with a federal, former federal prosecutor uh, about the, uh, the Trump situation in court. Miss some of the show? Check out our podcast at 939theeagle.com. Seven thirty-six on Wake Up Mid Missouri, along with Stephanie Bell. Good morning. John Marsh. Good morning. And producer Hannah. Hello. Who has a windshield bra that she took a video of to keep the... That's not not exactly what it's Well, that's what I... It looks like a windshield bra to keep the the ice and the snow off of your windshield. It's called a frost guard. I have one as well. They're nice, aren't they? They work great. They're better in the dog food sack. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of a game changer. Yeah. At at a minimum, I like to raise my windshield wipers and keep them off from getting stuck yeah how, how many times have i ripped them off and taken the wiper blade and left it there on the windshield yeah. although we do have amanda on the wake up in missouri facebook page yes. saying that instead of using a frost guard i should just have randy or john uh go out and scrape my car for me which i also support that yeah. decision well, we would so. do, we would do that and so would zach smith our guest from heritage who's host of the scotus 101 podcast and author of a book on rogue prosecutors and we go to him about these, because uh, he was a non-rogue assistant federal prosecutor in Florida. And I guess you're not getting much snow this morning in Florida, are you, Zach? No. 
thankfully no need for uh, keeping our wiper blades up or any windshield bras or anything else like that. <laughs> for us in Florida today. All right. So, look, we got a lot to unpack. Uh, Trump is uh, was uh, outside. Well, he was inside, then made a lengthy speech outside the appellate court in, uh, in the uh, D.C. circuit there yesterday. Um, your thoughts about his statements afterwards and what happened during the arguments? Well, look, you know, this is a very uh, unfriendly court to Donald Trump in general. The three-judge panel that heard his case on whether or not he enjoys presidential immunity from prosecution is composed of one Republican nominee, a judge appointed by George H.W. Bush, and then two Biden appointees. And it was a really interesting back and forth during the oral argument, Randy. You know, essentially, Donald Trump is claiming uh, that the actions he's being prosecuted for in the wake of the 2020 election uh, were actions he took in the outer limits of his official capacity as president, and as such, he enjoys immunity. And so there were some very interesting uh, questions back and forth with the judges. Uh, president Trump's lawyers, uh, John Sauer, in fact, a former Missouri Solicitor General, argued on behalf of President Trump, uh, actually made the point, and Donald Trump made the same point in his speech afterwards, uh, that if a president can be prosecuted for his official actions while in office, it would essentially make it very difficult, if not impossible, for president to do his job. Uh, there were also some interesting questions about what the proper remedy, uh, uh, what that should be when a president does violate the law. And again, President Trump's lawyers, John Sauer, made the point uh, that the Constitution provides a remedy uh, if a president breaks the law. It's impeachment, uh, trial and conviction by the Senate, and then uh, a criminal proceeding can be implemented against that president, uh, but not before uh, that process is followed. Now, much like the court, Twitter is not really a safe space for conservatives. I think especially legal Twitter, it's just dominated by liberals. And so I saw a lot yeah. uh, about John Sauer's argument. And in particular, uh, Twitter seemed to hone in on his question about SEAL Team 6. What if the president orders SEAL Team 6 to kill a political rival? And he said, basically, well, you got to go to Congress. And and so do you think there was a better answer to that question? I mean, I, I have seen conservatives kind of disagreeing on his response to that question. And do you think that question really decides this argument. Well, look, you know, it's always a tough call when you're an advocate uh, about the best way to handle the difficult hypotheticals. That hypothetical was obviously put to him uh, by a Biden appointed uh, judge who I think was looking for that kind of outraged reaction uh, that was received on Twitter. Uh, But look, John's an excellent advocate. I think he did what he had to in that situation. He acknowledged uh, with a candid answer about what the outcome legally should be in that situation. But I think, uh, Stephanie, the larger point that was lost in that exchange was the fact that that he wasn't saying there is no remedy if a president breaks the law. It's simply that the Constitution provides the remedy of impeachment and removal from office uh, when a president breaks the law. And then a criminal prosecution can be implemented, uh, not before that. Is that considered fair play when a judge, I think it was Judge Pan, that, I mean, I understand taking things to their logical conclusion when you're trying to make a case uh, against someone else's case. Oh, does that mean that you could? But I mean, to to insinuate that a president would be somehow immune from any kind of remedy and that a president would order the assassination of someone, of, of an opponent. I mean, I, it, that's an illogical conclusion. But is that standard in the courts? Well, it certainly shouldn't be, uh, but I think, you know, look, uh, many of these judges were skilled advocates themselves. Certainly all of the judges were aware that the oral argument was being 
audio recorded and the audio would be released in short order. And so I think this is the type of reaction uh, that was being hoped for. And, you know, this isn't unusual. I think you see it in the U.S. Supreme Court, too. Justice Elena Kagan, Justice Sonia Sotomayor are both very good at trying to, you know, use these uh, gotcha questions in some sense to pin down opponents of their positions. Um, so it's not unexpected. It's just sometimes difficult. Uh, I know this will be shocking to everyone. Difficult to, con- you know, convince that nuance uh, on Twitter or other social media. Now, give us your expectation on timing. My understanding is we might see something pretty quickly, but then it, maybe this could get appealed to the full panel, and then maybe there would be even appeals following that. And of course, this uh, the other cases stayed kind of hinging on this case. So, what can how do we how do you expect this to play out? Well, the D.C. Circuit has pledged to move very quickly in this matter. Keep in mind, you know, Jack Smith uh, tried to skip the D.C. Circuit. He went straight to the U.S. Supreme Court asking the justices to take up this issue directly in an effort to expedite the trial, try to get Donald Trump to trial before Super Tuesday. And he would still, I suspect, like to get Donald Trump uh, to trial, uh, if possible, before the upcoming election in November if Donald Trump ends up being the nominee. Now, of course, Donald Trump uh, would like the D.C. this panel to take Take its time to consider the full issue. Uh, I suspect Jack Smith will, if if he loses on any issue, will try to go straight back to the Supreme Court. If Donald Trump loses, he may ask the full D.C. Circuit to hear the case, or he may go straight to the Supreme Court as well. Uh, regardless, though, I do think at this point it will be very difficult. Uh, regard, you know, if the either the D.C. Circuit or the justices rule against Donald Trump on this immunity issue, it would be very difficult at this point. I think uh, for Jack Smith to bring him to trial, certainly before Super Tuesday, and likely even before uh, the upcoming elections. That's Zach Smith, the podcast host at SCOTUS One Hundred and One, Heritage SCOTUS expert and author of Rogue Prosecutors, How Radical Soros Lawyers Are Destroying America's Communities, with us this morning on Wake Up Mid-Missouri. Zach, it wasn't uh, my former neighbor, John Sauer, brought it up, but I think one of the judges kind of talked about Richard Nixon and, you know, pardoned upon leaving office and all, and, you know, no one ever assuming the presidents are immune from prosecution, but Nixon resigned before he could be impeached. How does that whole argument factor into this? Well, I think the the back and forth about Richard Nixon was a very interesting back and forth. And the point I think that exchange, the judge in that exchange was trying to bring out was that there was an implicit understanding that presidents could be prosecuted for some of their actions while in office uh, because Richard Nixon accepted a pardon from Gerald Ford, essentially saying there would be no need for a pardon if Nixon uh, if Nixon was immune from prosecution. Now, I think there are several problems with that implicit argument uh, that was being put forward uh, by that judge, by Jack Smith's uh, office, essentially making that argument. Uh, look, it's a very hotly contested issue of, of uh, law. It was very unprecedented at the time Richard Nixon resigned, as it is now. Also, you know, there can be a distinction drawn between official acts that a president takes and actions taken in uh, his private capacity. And so I don't think it was unusual that Richard Nixon would accept a pardon uh, from Gerald uh, Ford. Uh, but certainly the, the argument being put forward by Jack Smith is that if Richard Nixon were immune from prosecution, if presidents were immune, there had been no need to pardon him. And the fact that Nixon accepted that pardon uh, implies that everyone understood at the time that presidents could, in fact, be prosecuted uh, for their official actions. 
Uh, for our audience uh, that is uh, questioning if you're any relation to Zach, to Jack Smith, we want to make it perfectly clear you're not, right? No, no relation. I appreciate that, Randy. Yeah. No relation. I wanted to make sure that we got that out there, because uh, I know they've heard you on my show in the afternoons, but uh, you know, want to make sure that everything's cool there. Hey, we have to, we need to go to the Fanny has her Fanny in trouble down in Fulton County. I mean, Fanny Wills is in trouble. She was cavorting uh, on exotic vacations with a private attorney that she hired for over $600,000 in the Trump prosecution down there. And I mean, there, and then of course, one of the people that she's indicted files this public, you know, a filing that says, Hey, uh, this is, this is not kosher. What are your thoughts on this? Could, could she be in some criminal hot water? Well, I think we need more details. I mean, look, at a minimum, I think we can all say this doesn't look good uh, for Fannie Willis. If these allegations are in fact proven to be true. Uh, essentially, you know, she's alleged to be in a romantic relationship with this lawyer that, as you mentioned, she's paid over $600,000 to. In exchange, uh, it says she's received numerous benefits that they took lavish vacations together, that he essentially was funneling uh, money indirectly back to her through gifts and other expenses. And so if those allegations are proven to be true, those are very troubling. And I suspect Fannie Willis would have trouble not only uh, with the court, not only uh, with the Georgia State Bar, uh, but there is an argument to be made uh, that that type of conduct could potentially be honest services fraud. Uh, potentially, if the broad theory of honest services fraud that Jack Smith has previously embraced is used uh, by prosecutors, uh, it's certainly, uh, you know, this is not a good situation uh, that Fannie Willis has placed herself in. Well, and I think with lawyers, people sometimes, you know, it's a high level and people kind of get confused. But I'm thinking, you know, I'm on my local board of aldermen and, you know, and again, oh, there's a romantic relationship. So it's not her husband but like imagine you know i'm the you know on the board of aldermen in ashland and i hire my husband to do lawn services care give him the contract pay way over market rate i mean that's one of the allegations is that they paid him this enormous sum of money that's much many times over some of these lawyers salaries um and and then you know meanwhile my husband and i are you know in turks and caicos or something all the time (laughs) on the city's dime i mean that would clearly and so i think when we you know think about it in other terms you're thinking this is this is just it's wrong well i had a question about his credentials too i mean is he a prosecutor i thought he's a private attorney not that not that he maybe couldn't do it but in this high profile case wouldn't you want someone with some with some credentials in that in that realm well, it's a weird situation, Randy, and I suspect what happened is Fannie Willis quickly uh, recognized that her office was going to be overwhelmed uh, by the extensive scope of the charges that she brought. We've talked about it before uh, on your afternoon program. You know, the RICO indictment that she brought is shockingly broad, and in a typical gang RICO, those can take months or even years to try. And yet the allegations in this RICO case that Fannie Willis has brought are much broader. There are more defendants. And so, you know, it's hard to see how she could really maintain the normal coming floor of her office and pursue this case at the same time. And so what she did, she essentially hired, uh, essentially deputized on a short term basis, uh, this outside lawyer, among others, uh, to help pursue this case against Donald Trump and the other individuals that she indicted along with him. And so even though he is a private lawyer, he's acting under the auspices of Fannie Willis's uh 
district attorney office there in Fulton County, Georgia. And yet, uh, you know, you have to wonder how the other assistant DAs in the office feel about this arrangement, uh, because I can, I'm almost certain uh, none of them are making $600,000 a year or anything close to it uh, to do their, their very difficult jobs. So we've only got a couple minutes here, Zach, but um, as far as, you know, let's say, let's flip the script. Say you're advising Fannie Willis. All of these allegations come out. I mean, what are her options here? I mean, to, to change somebody mid case, lose a lot of that knowledge already, or, you know, or continue on with someone who might be unqualified and who has the conflict. I mean, what, what happens next? Well, if I was advising Fannie Willis, Stephanie, <laughs> none of this would have started from the outset. Fair probably. point. <laughs> uh, uh, look, you know, I think uh, I think there are more facts that need to come out. Certainly, I imagine Fannie Willis uh, will have to respond in some fashion since this was filed in a court motion. We'll have to wait and see what she says, whether she denies the allegations, whether she admits to the allegations. Uh, certainly, the other lawyer involved as well. I suspect he will have to also uh, respond in some form or fashion uh, to these allegations. Uh, but look, I think the best course of action for Fannie Willis is, you know, to kind of end this entire uh, charade that she's implemented yeah. in Fulton County. Uh, unfortunately, I doubt that is going to happen yep. uh, without uh, a big fight. Well, if they can stretch their legal theories from Fulton County to Washington, D.C. to, uh, you know, the boroughs of New York uh, and the Capitol with Letitia James, I why not stretch the theory and apply it to her? What's good for the goose is good for the Fannie. All right, just didn't do it. All right. Hey, Zach, thanks for being with us, Zach. We look forward to covering what is going to be a fire hose of, of uh, legal issues as, uh, as the campaign and as this year goes on. Thanks so much, buddy. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. All right. There he is, at TZ Smith on Twitter. And, um, you know, it's just there's so much here that's just this is so rich. And so ironic. You just got to love it. When we come back, uh, what's up on your sleeve, uh, John Marsh? I don't know. Go ask HR. <laughs> okay, you'll have oh, to listen again. to see what HR has to say. Will it, be, it. will it be potty talk or will it be employment talk? Or will oh. it be something else? We'll see when we return on Wake Up Mid-Missouri. This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri. Listen to Wake Up Mid-Missouri from anywhere in the world by downloading our app for free. And that would be all, except for this. Okay, here's our quiz. What do a tanning bed, a trip to Hawaii, and a bikini all have in common? Here's a clue. Nothing to do with warm weather or desire to look good. It's all perks that employees are requesting from HR. Here's some of the crazier ones we came up with. (laughs) Oh, I've got my list ready. Here we go. Allow people to change their clothes in their cubicles. Whoa! (laughs) Add a tanning bed to the break room. Here's one pretty popular. The Army even tried it back in the day. Put beer in the vending machine. Oh, boy. Hold this week's team meeting in Hawaii. Uh, Cover jail time under family medical leave. (laughs) (laughs) Create a smoking area for marijuana users. Uh, Install a swimming pool. Start Bikini Fridays, but the one I liked, people should be allowed to use the chair in the lactation room to take a nap. Ah. Now you know the rest of that story. Would you have? I mean, a lactation room is even a a privilege in a lot of offices. There you go. 
<laughs> I think it's something that should be standard. I mean, there's no doubt about it. There should be a place for women to nurse because that's so important. So good for babies. I mm-hmm. always had um, my, I had an office, so I would just close the door. But yeah. like I ha- I would put a little sign out and my office assistants and folks helping me were, the other women in my office were very good about being like, don't go in there, you know, because. <laughs> it's like putting a scrunchie on the doorknob, right? <laughs> yeah, but we will, we will shout out to a unnamed individual down the hall on Cat Country who, uh, raided somebody's stash in the fridge (laughs) after the lactation room had been used and thought it was coffee creamer no really that is bad my worst worst pumping story was i had a remote tech guy at the time and i um and so i thought i'm going to save some time and while i pump i'm going to call the tech guy to try to fix this problem i'm having with my computer and we're on the phone and he goes, what's that sound? And I'm like, what sound? He's like, that sound. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it was just rah, 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 rah. <laughs> At least I'm web- multitasking. <laughs> At least your webcam wasn't on. Andrew Koenig.